I'm Fran, and this is Consent Based Everything, a podcast about creating a culture of consent in our homes and beyond. Welcome. This is episode two of the podcast. Today I'm here with Nadia Erlinson. I'm so excited to be chatting to Nadia today, and I'm going to let her uh, first of all tell you all about who she is and what she does. Yay! Thank you. Also, always a good time to chat with you. <laughs> we'll have to like cut it off, I'm sure. Um, yeah, so I am, uh, I was born and raised in California, and I'm a California credentialed educator per se. Um, and so I have actually worked in international schools my whole career, though, as an educator. So that's one piece of me is being a trained educator. Um, but I'm also a parent. <laughs> I have a, a daughter who's almost eight and a son who's almost four. So as we were in international schools and my kids started to get older, I started to realize, um, yeah, we wanted a space, a school that aligned with our values. And we kind of realized that that is not a school. Um, So we left the school system and became unschooling parents, if you will. And as an educator, it was, I really had this big question of, as a teacher, I should say, like, how does how do teachers contribute to community if they aren't working in a school? Like, what do teachers do if they're not teaching? Um, so in this journey of like becoming an unschooling family, but also trying to weave community into it, uh, I found my way into just this idea of coaching and supporting parents um, with just educational, pra- like alternative educational practices, but also with respectful parenting practices. And then as we kind of had this year of de-schooling as a family, I'd say, like, we really just needed the, like, <sighs> moment. Um, then we started to think, okay, how can we bring more community kind of around our unschooling aspect of our lives? Um, and so we decided to open our own self-directed education space thingy. I, don't, I also don't know what to call it. <laughs> the kids always, the kids that come always call it not school, school um but for them it's school right it's a place they go and they're in community with people um so yeah so now we have a self-directed education space in our home and on our land and we have kids from the age of two to 12 so we have a massive span and yeah I'm excited to like talk about and think about the connections of of just being a consent-based space because we do call ourselves that do you have a name, like an official name for your space? We don't. So it, we're in the process of also legally making it a space. And so we ha- we've we been weary of like naming it so far. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that self-directed center. <laughs> you can name it whatever you want. <laughs> okay, well, uh, that sounds amazing. And I would really love to talk a bit more about um how you sort of weave consent and consent based mm. practices and like a general culture of consent into your space uh especially with like such a huge um uh age range right and right. yeah you have a lot of young people attending don't you yeah so right now we're at about 15 at one point there was 30 kind of during the we're in a transient town so there's a lot of travelers as well which makes it difficult as well um but I'm glad you mentioned the age range because I think that's one space of like a concrete example of um you know we have two-year-olds and we have 12-year-olds and the 12-year-olds are always really or the older kids in general are always really caring for the younger ones um but in the beginning this care came in the form of like I'm just gonna pick you up and I'm gonna you know it's it's time to do this we're just gonna grab you and take you and so in the beginning actually there was a lot of work with the kids to ask permission and ask for consent when caring for the younger kids and it always is this funny balance of like I know you're caring for them you know it's like the care is not the bad piece but it's the fact that actually these two-year-olds are humans. And so we would we would walk around saying it all the time. They're not dolls, they're humans, um, you know, as like a little reminder. So actually a big piece was within the young people themselves and getting them to recognize even within their age hierarchy that just because you're older doesn't mean the younger one needs you to do any of this. Like they have a voice and now they're beautiful at it. Like they they stop themselves, you know, and they make sure they're looking at the body language and, 
Yeah, so we talked a lot about communication as well, especially for the two-year-olds who maybe aren't speaking as lo a lot, but we're, you know, if they're kicking and trying to get out of your arms, they don't want to be held. <laughs> so that's one space where it came in a lot, especially in the beginning. Yeah. And um, and I think that that kind of assumption that we can like manhandle uh, young babies and children and just like pick them up if we feel like it or like tap them on the head or whatever. It's like so ingrained in our culture that even if our children were raised in a consent based way, like you can do all the things, but like they might still do that because they've seen everybody do that. Uh, mm -hmm you know, around them. So, yeah. yeah. And we always had this phrase that would come up. I'm just thinking about it of like, it's not helpful if they don't want help. Yes. Because kids like pride themselves. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be a helper. But yeah, we really had to get into this space. of. But if that person doesn't want help, it's not helpful. Mm -hmm. So I say this all the time. It's kind of similar. It's something that Anne Lamott said once she's not even like an educator or or anything like that but she <laughs> said um help is the sunny side of control mm. and I say this all the time at home my husband yeah. like now cannot hear it anymore anytime he hears it he's just like oh, like rolling his eyes but I kind of love it because I know that help isn't always the sunny side of control mm. but sometimes it kind of is it's like it's like control but uh but happy you know yeah well and this brings us kind of to this idea of similar about fun that we were kind of saying like how do we bring this in like mm. yeah I feel like fun is also a sunny side of control of like I'm entertaining you and this is going to be fun but I'm coercing you at the same time <laughs> oh, yeah totally I mean I have uh, and you had a post about it like fun does not equal consent mm. which I thought was so interesting because I've I've always thought like that making things fun and like kind of this it's it's quite it's like a thing that teachers tend to do in school but I think homeschoolers also do it to some extent and I'm not saying that it's always like a bad thing to make things fun you know but kind of like artificially making something fun because you have an agenda and you want your child to do a thing sometimes that's not really respecting their need to like hmm. actually say no right so it is a kind of a soft way of like coercing it is and I what I find a lot is that I encounter parents that will I think in a defense you know kind of be like oh but this you know something their kid is going to a class or whatever it is a program yeah but it's not like that you know it tends to be it's not like that but it's it's fun and it's like, well, it can still be fun and be like that, <laughs> you know? And so what I find I really appreciate about some parents is understanding what need their kid is actually getting met when they're sending them to something specifically. So whether it's like a fun space or maybe a space that doesn't look so fun, but if parents can really look underneath and think, well, why does my, if my kid wants to go, why do they want to go? What is, what need is being met there? Um, Cause for some people it's like, yeah, it's fun, but it's more that they get to be around kids their own age or yeah, it's fun, but they, they give snacks, you know? <laughs> right, right. So for us, we're just like, we think it's the fun, but there is a need underneath that's being met if our kid is wow. consenting to go there. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like that's important to distinguish like, why is our kid consenting to this even if it's something um yeah just understanding I guess the underlying pieces yeah and I think sometimes like the fun can distract uh, our children from actually checking in and seeing if that's actually something that they want to do and it can be it can feel frustrating I think afterwards when they I've had my kids reflect on things and be like oh actually I didn't want to do that and I was like, but you looked like you were having so much fun. And the mm. fun, I guess, was kind of almost distracting them from the fact that actually they didn't want to do that thing to begin with. So I think it it can. Mm. I mean, there's nuance, obviously. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And it makes me think of like I, what you said in terms of like it looked like they were having fun. And this idea of like, so how do we gauge like 
comfortability and consent we can't gauge it from the outside like <laughs> there's no way for us to know <laughs> yeah and and that's again like checking in right mm. with our kids and also creating a space where they know they can walk away or say no and and stuff like that and I wonder like do you want to talk a bit about how you do that in your yeah um one of the things that comes to mind for me is just like as a group, and this is something I'm struggling with, which is why I want to make this connection. As a group, we don't gather very often. Like one of my also just like questions in my mind is as a community, how often do you have to gather all together? Because generally groups gathering can be a stressful moment for most kids. It can be boring. It can be stressful. It can you know be so many things. So, but we also know that gathering is important for groups, right? Like you have to come together at some point. So I've really been wrestling with, okay, how much do we gather? And so at the moment, we just gather once before lunch and once before we go home. And then the rest of the time is just open. Um, and so it's interesting in this idea of like walking away from something because as a group, we have values. And one of the values is intentional communication and part of that is getting together and communicating. And so in these gathering times, I'm always torn. Like I do say gathering is not, um, it's not an option. Like that's not the consent-based part of what we're doing. Like we do have to gather. Um, and so it's interesting calling ourselves a consent-based space, but also identifying and just being honest, I guess, about where there's not consent, where you're like, if you're coming into this space, you're agreeing that you are meeting at these times and coming into this group. Having said that, there's always a kid or sometimes two that will just like stay in the sandbox and not come. And we're okay with that. But it's a really tricky nuance of like, what if everybody wanted to stay in the sandbox mm -hmm. and then that would ruin the whole thing, you know, like, I don't know, then it wouldn't be a group. <laughs> then we wouldn't be it coming together. bring something up, I guess, that you'd have to figure out, like, I guess it would be yeah. sad that perhaps the gathering wasn't, I don't know, most of the kids didn't want to gather or whatever, but, right. but yeah, I, mean, I appreciate you saying like, you know, this is our space and this is some, these are some of the things that we do. So. Yeah. And we're helping them like, because it's like, obviously kids don't want to do something that doesn't feel meaningful to them. And so it does. But I guess for the values that we have as, as a space, gathering is meaningful. So do the kids even buy, where I'm at right now is like, do the kids even buy into what we're doing here in the way that the parents do? So the parents, you know, the parents really know the mission and our values and what we believe because we make them sign something about it. Even if they can't fully embody the ethos, you know, they understand that's where I'm sending my kid. Um, and so we came to this space actually just yesterday where I read that to them because I don't, we don't have it up anywhere. We don't, we hadn't really talked about it as a group. We're quite new. I mean, it's been a few months now, but I had this moment of like, do you guys even know what we're doing? here? <laughs> you know, like they know they're free. They know they like it. They know this is a place they choose to be. But I did have a moment of like, and mainly it was because of, um, you know, this idea. I was, I was frustrated basically is where it came about <laughs> to be honest is like I was frustrated and I just felt like they were you know there's the, the idea of freedom versus license I felt like they were taking license and I had that a moment yesterday where I was just like I had to kind of educate them a little bit on self-directed education <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> which sounds silly but I just had to be like it's your responsibility like, you're not here so that I can clean up after you and run after you. And like, I'm here to support you like a thousand percent with passions and trying new things. But I just had a moment of like, there needed to be a little more responsibility from the young people. Mm -hmm. um, sorry, I'm totally going off on a tangent. No, no, no. I mean, it, it's interesting, actually, because this idea of like, you know, we give our children autonomy and agency and choice. Uh but where does the responsibility piece come in, right? Even just in yeah. not only in a, a community, but also just in the family, right? So like, does that mean I expect my child to contribute in the house, for example? Um, mm -hmm. And how do I do that uh, while also being consent-based? 
I think a lot of people actually have this question. So do you have well, like, uh, for example, in your center, like do you have things you expect the child, like the young people to do, like cleaning up after themselves or? <laughs> yeah, right now we do like, we're in this space of, we just do community cleanup. So like when, before we do that, ga that first gathering before lunch, we do a five minute cleanup and everybody chooses the space they want to go to, even if it wasn't the space they were in and they just clean for five minutes. And so that's kind of our routine with it. But cleanup is always a hard one. <laughs> Kids don't like, I mean, I don't like to clean either. Um, but we also try to make it like, I guess that's where the frustration comes in. And that's where the intentional communication comes in. Cause sometimes it'll be like, okay, we have three adults you know, I'll be in this space if you, because sometimes it's like a relational thing. If you want to clean with me, this is the space I'll be in. And if you, you know, and it's not a coercive relational experience. It's just like, sometimes they enjoy being around a certain adult. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think their frustration as the adult comes in sometimes if like, okay, I'm going to help. And I didn't make any of this mess, but then I'm doing it. Right. And I guess that's just where the intentional communication comes in of where I did make everybody gather. But at the same time, if there was the same level of frustration from a young person, they could also make everybody gather <laughs> to communicate that to the group. So I, I think for me, it's finding that balance and also letting them know that they have that power too. Mm -hmm. Like we're not just gathering because I have the power to gather us, but you also have the power to gather us. You also have the power to say if you're frustrated or to, to tell the group something. And I find that that's easy to create that that sense and that culture of like them knowing they hold power and that we're sharing it when the group is smaller. Okay, that's interesting. When it's been bigger and it's transient, it's hard to create that. In the beginning, I'd have kids be like, I need a circle. <laughs> we need a circle right now you know and there were because there were six kids so it was really easy and now that there's 15 kids I don't know if they feel they have that same amount of power and I don't know why but that's where we are <laughs> okay yeah that's really interesting I mean because you've worked in schools right so yeah um, and I've worked in like a preschool and so I don't know if you had this too but uh, where I worked it like circle time was like crucial there were two circle times and it was non-negotiable. Everybody had to sit. I mean, we're talking about like two and three-year-olds mm. um, had to sit in a circle cross-legged. And it was, it, circle time was literally my worst, like my, the, the moment of the day that I dreaded because I knew that I'd have to do things that I didn't feel comfortable doing. Mm. Like, you know, bringing children into the circle. So I don't know how you experience that in schools versus how you experience it. I mean, I'd like to hear how you experience mm. it, where you are now. Yeah, I think that's the space where I made a, sh um, a shift towards really thinking about self-directed education because I learned about consent firstly from Melissa from Sex Positive Families more in a sex ed way, but they also talk about consent has to be in everyday life. You know, that's how you teach and model it. You don't just say, this is what consent is, but then I'm not going to let you have consent over any part of your day. Um, and so once I learned just that idea, I started to look in my classroom and say, well, there's so many spaces where they don't actually have consent in the day. And then it became really hard to gather kids because I'm like, if they could really say no to this gathering part, would they gather? Some would because some would and some wouldn't and so that was a really big turning point for me but it's almost like I'm back there too <laughs> because I'm like gathering is important um but I will say like a similarity like I think as an educator I was able to let kids you know walk around in the back or keep playing in the in the play kitchen I taught kindergarten mostly because there's always this like I guess there's a respect that you can have if you really watch kids and you know when they're actually listening and what they need and like they know what they need. So there would be kids that would still be kind of like cooking in the fake kitchen. But I also knew that there was a level of like trust there. And so it's even here, like because we have kids two to 12, the two year olds like to sit in people's lap. But then, yeah, they get up and they go 
and they start to play. And even the five and six-year-olds, like they they all grab a toy and they bring it with them, you know? And so I feel like there's a balance also of, yes, this is important, but also kids need to do what they need to do in the moment anyways. Mm-hmm. So I mm, think so- it always depends on the adult in general. You know, whether it's in a school or it's in a self-directed space, I think it has to do with the level of trust that the adult has for kids. Hmm. And why do you, I mean, maybe you've said this, but why do you feel like gathering is important? Mm. I just like to hear like your, the reason, your reasoning. Yeah. Agreeing that it's important, but I'd like to hear what you think. (laughs) What I find is like, Cause there are some days that we don't even make those two gathering times. Like there's definitely days where we don't do it. Um, I find the kids are more distant from themselves, like from each other. And with such a massive age range, they start to segregate by age naturally. And so I find if, if we aren't gathering, so usually at lunch, there's some kind of, it's either a book, a story or a game that we do. And I just feel like that's a community building aspect. Like, cause it's possible even just with 15 kids, like we had a new girl and again, cause it's transient. We had a new girl come in and like, some people still don't know her name. Like if you say her name, they're like, who? <laughs> and I'm like, really? <laughs> um, and so I find it's important for them to even just know who each other are. And because there's so many connections that they miss out on sometimes if they're not if they're thinking, well, I'm 12, I'm only going to hang out with the 12 year olds. But then there's a seven year old who like, they would totally go and do gymnastics together, you know? So it's like, I think it's important for making connections, but for the community, like mixed age care as well, um, that they are. And again, also, I even think for this idea of consent and like the ageism and for the older kids to see the younger kids as humans, that they can participate in some of these games, they can participate and have a voice in what we're doing, I think it's super important for them to see that. Um, And then the other aspect for gathering to me is again, the intentional communication that sometimes, and I find this too, like we're always going through different systems of how do the kids know what's going on in the day? How do they know, like if we're cooking and we're building, there's always things going on, but we, this is something we struggle with. You know, I'll admit we have like lots of struggles. I find, Um, how do they know? If we don't gather, you know, we used to have it like on post-its and like the morning, if people were offering things, it would be up there. If, um, if the kids wanted to offer things, they would put it up there, but they didn't look at it, (laughs) you know? So we're constantly like, okay, how do we, how does everybody know what's happening if we're not gathering? That's another piece to it too. Mm -hmm. Um, Would you like to talk a bit about how you make Um, like if when you have disagreements or when you're trying to come to an agreement about something how you make kind of like communal consent-based agreements because I I remember you posting on Instagram about this about and kind of going through your process right and I found that really interesting yeah so we do use sociocracy um, which is a you know they say consent-based collaborative decision making (laughs) and we've had some conversations about this and it's so again like everything's so nuanced um but the protocol we use the most from sociocracy is like I call it the why are we talking protocol and so they know this idea that one we have like an understanding round which there's a topic or an issue and the understanding round is Each person, if they want, gets to say any of their feelings that they have around this idea or topic. Um, And we're just listening. So we're not responding to each other. We're just listening. But we can also ask questions and wonder, you know, this is what I'm wondering about this thing. And as we do that, um, I'm like a fervent documentator and transcriber. You know, I put everything on post-its and it's color coordinated so they know, okay, here's the understanding. This is who said what. So we can always come back to it. So the first round is usually understanding and there's a choice in that. So it goes around. And if you don't want to say anything, you don't have to. Um, And so there's the understanding round. And then there's the collaborative round where we just like brainstorm and come up with tons of ideas. Um, And what I find with kids is it doesn't 
fit the round nicely. Like sometimes there's ideas or brainstorming that comes out during the first round, which is why the color coded post-its are important because then I put it on a different color post-it so they can see, well, yeah, that was an idea. Cool. It's still valid, even though it doesn't match the, the round that we're going on. Um, so yeah, then we try to just come up with all the ideas possible and then we kind of narrow it down to, okay, which, you know, we kind of sometimes like this isn't possible. So we take it off or maybe this is possible, but you know, we have some issues. So then we go around and like, well, what are the issues? <laughs> um, so at that point, it's just very uh, collaborative, but I find that differentiating, like I learned through sociocracy of the three reasons and like the three very distinct, like right now it's just listening. Okay, now give all the ideas. Okay, we've come, we've taken these ideas, we've combined them or taken pieces out. So now we can decide, is this okay? And there's, it's interesting because again, coming back to the consent piece. So in so sociocracy, everybody does have to consent. Um, and they also suggest that you check in and have timelines. So like, is everybody okay for this for one week, you know? Um, but in the beginning of our group, we had a person who nothing, they would not consent to anything. <laughs> <laughs> and it was okay because it was like this interesting, like the rest of the group consented and they didn't consent. So we all consented that that person could just not do the thing we're doing and that the rest of the group is okay with it. And it was comfortable and that person could do what they were comfortable with. Um, and it was, but it was interesting to have just like one outlier every single time when everybody else. And so that, then that person also had to consent, like, well, are you okay with us doing it? And you doing this. And usually it was like, yes, it was just like that need for autonomy to do their own thing. Um, so yeah, even within this like collaborative piece, there's differences and there's space to not consent, but consent to not consenting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is that enough? Is that enough consent in one sentence? <laughs> I love that sentence. Um yeah and it's not always going to be like neat and tidy like they tell you it's going to be in you know a, a yeah. sociocracy course as well um and I mean even they don't make it seem like neat and tidy but I mean in your head you know when you leave um when I left the the workshops or whatever I was like oh this is gonna like work out exactly in this order and you know like you said it just it just doesn't and mm. Uh, you know you're reminded that everybody is a is a human and not everybody's just going to immediately be like oh yes this is such a great idea and <laughs> and it's interesting because they don't actually I find the kids don't totally like sociocracy yet and I think but again I think it has to do and they even say this within sociocracy training that it's easier to do with like a group of six to eight people doing it with 30 people it is a time consuming process. So like, but I will say, okay, so I guess this is another space of like, when, when they're experiencing problems and the problems and needing to solve the problem is meaningful to them, they'll use the protocol because this happened with the trampoline. I was like, I think we should talk about this. And you know, there's a kid who is like, yeah, but nobody wants to sit and talk for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like yeah you're right but okay then it won't get solved you know and eventually they came to me like a couple weeks later and they're like we have to talk about this and I was like yeah we do <laughs> but so there's this space you know of like when it's meaningful for them then the communication is meaningful um, and I think having protocols in place is super important because then they know they can call a circle or they know that there's a process and I think that that's really important yeah. And the process can be tweaked, but as long as, you know, they get to points where they see the value in it. Mm -hmm. I love what you, what you said just a few minutes ago about when the, when the, the, what did you say about the communication is meaningful when the, uh, yeah, the communication is meaningful. Yeah. Like it does have to be, I've certainly had moments with my own children because we try and um, use sociocracy as well with mixed results. Um, I've, I've moments when like I've, you know called a meeting or like we've all been like hey can we talk about this this is kind of an issue for me or for their dad or whatever and they've kind of been like this isn't an issue for us like we see no issue here like we don't need to discuss this or be in this mm -hmm. meeting 
I'm like, oh, okay. Now well, and that's that nuance of even as the adults, like our feelings are valid too. And we're allowed to call meetings too. And I think it's that balance of, are we calling the meeting because we're just an adult and we think that it, they need to come? Like even for me, right? I think gathering is important, but am I gathering just because they need to gather or like, is there purpose in this? And is it actually a need, a need that I have examined, I guess, mm-hmm. and that I'm not trying to fulfill through controlling them, but rather it's a need of me being in community with them as a community member, I guess. And I think that that's the difference between like you, um, but you feeling like your needs aren't being met mm. and you just trying to make rules. Right. Arbitrarily, right? Which gets confusing because I do feel like the need to make rules is also meeting a need for some adults, like a need for control or for just like a lack of chaos. I don't know. So it gets so tricky, I feel like in there. But what I've found is like, the important piece is if that is a need distinguishing the time and space and place for that like how can you meet that need without trying to control young people yes that's mm. the question <laughs> because I I can really relate to like needing to have a um a little bit of control over the situation like knowing what's coming like having some sort of a, a routine or whatever. Like I I need that as a human. But yeah, how do you get that without it spilling over and being you controlling other people? Mm. Okay, yeah. but this is another, I guess, connection that I'm wanting to make. And I think it fits in here because also when we're in community, whether it's a family or like a self-directed community, you're in relationship with people and you talk about relationship a lot. And it's interesting because so do schools, (laughs) right? If you think about schools, schools will say like the best classroom management is relationships. And I'm like, so you're leveraging your relationship to control. Um, But I do think there is an aspect here of why does it work to, to be in like have positive relationship why does that make cooperation easier? And I've been thinking about this idea, um, mainly from Naomi Fisher. I feel like she talks about this a lot, but I've been trying to make this connection and it might get a little (laughs) jumbly. I'm going to try to make the connection clearly. I've been trying to make this connection between Ryan and Desi's research about intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation, because that comes up a lot um, in you know, just in schools even as well, but also in self-directed education. And Naomi Fisher, what she talks about a lot is like the locus of control. And so I've been thinking about it a lot in terms of relationships. You're, you're in a relationship with your children, you're their mother. And so you could leverage that relationship and guilt them or shame them based on your needs. <laughs> Or you could intentionally communicate your needs and they could choose to follow along with you. And that would be an extrinsic motivator. Okay, this is getting like kind of, I hope you can follow. That's like an extrinsic motivator, but it's their relationship with you that is motivating them. But they have the control. So if they have the control, even though you're in relationship to say, well, no, even though mom wants that, I'm not going to do it. Or, well, mom wants that and I want to choose to do it. So I'm going to do it. It becomes intrinsic. Okay. So I'm saying all this to say <laughs> as, as an adult in your family relationship, you have the relationship which could motivate, be an extrinsic motivator. But the, co- the consent piece comes from the locus of control. Does that make sense at all? <laughs> Yeah, so you're saying like, you know, obviously you need a a good relationship, you work on your relationship, but ultimately they have the agency to make the decision. Yeah, like don't use your relationship as a way of making them do things. Yeah, basically, like they have the control to say, well, no, I don't want to routine the same way you do. Or they also have the control to say, 
well, mom wants it. And I feel like I can do that for her, you know? And I'm, I'm just thinking about this idea of like, what, what makes it consent? And mm -hmm. I guess I should say, like, I find this during sociocracy as well in a group. So if everybody's consented and there's one person who's like on the fence and then they're like, mm, okay, <laughs> you know, I guess it comes with this idea of enthusiastic consent as well. But I do find that like the group can sway a kid's decision. And I question, I just question, you know, well, was that kid just coerced by the group to agree but then I think of this idea of if they know for sure that they can say no, the group could be an external motivator for them to say yes and and it not be coercive. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the big question about sociocracy is like there's always going to be ch children and young people who are more willing to go along with others, who are more mm. willing to be like, all right, whatever, let's try right. this. And then there's going to be other kids who won't be and those kids will be get heard more right mm. um and perhaps there isn't enough um work as well on like the imbalances of power um mm. in terms of how that might influence children to say yes or no um yeah I wonder I wonder too, just the word power, like, because kids have, have power too, and like in varying levels of power, <laughs> like we have a kid who has a lot of power just from naturally their personality, like it's, it's charismatic and people like this person. And so I feel like they actually, as a young person, wield a lot of sway as well. Um, and getting young people to share power as well or use I don't know power is a hard one <laughs> it's a hard one I mean I don't think it's anything you could it not necessarily can like resolve right I don't mm -hmm. think you can you know I've always been a bit skeptical about like uh when people talk about dismantling hierarchies of power within the home because right. I I feel like awareness of them is really important I feel like trying to even things out empower our children in certain ways sure but I'm not sure that you can utterly dismantle all hierarchies of power in every single context um mm -hmm. I mean there are some that certainly need to be dismantled and we should be working towards that but in terms of parent and child I don't know I feel like there's always going to be some level of yeah of imbalance of power and sometimes it's mm -hmm. You know, sometimes, like you said, our, our child has the power in some situations, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, there was something else. It also, it also with the sociocracy piece, like coming back to con consenting in a group, um, you know, I was thinking also about the idea of self-consent. And if there's not a strong sense of kind of that grounding with certain kids, I find... Like I do find some kids will say, sure, or whatever you, not necessarily in a sociocratic circle, but like, sure, um, up to you, whatever you want. So we we did a lesson all together of, um, about consent and <clears throat> we were coming up with language. So we have like, we have Hebrew speakers and Germans and all kinds of different languages happening. And so we were just building language around consent and so we were like, okay, what does a yes sound like? What are the phrases you can use when you're saying yes or when you're listening for a yes? And so there were good ones, like definitely, yeah, sure, you know, like really good ones. And then there was a lot of, um, it's up to you. And so we talked a lot about like, you're actually then putting the responsibility on the other person to decide your boundaries. And um, And we said, but actually, that's not really consent. You're still not consenting. And you might even feel, since you're giving the power to the other person, they might cross your boundaries and you not realize it. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because there are certain kids who use those answers most often. And it started making me think about this idea of self-consent, that if there are kids that are constantly putting the responsibility of consent on the other, um, 
how do we build the skill of self-consent for themselves so they can say yes and no confidently it's like that um I don't mind it's like oh, yeah I don't mind it's up to you mind. yeah I mean what does that that is not clear and and then like if the other person does the thing you don't want them to do which they don't know what it is because you haven't really told them then you right. feel a bit like oh wait a minute they should have known that like that's right. what I meant but yeah hundred percent. And we had, a, we kind of graphed this because we, we did it or we made it visual and we said, you know, here's phrases for yes, here's phrases for no. And of course, like maybe went on the no side, right? We're like, that's not consent. It's a no. But with these phrases of, I don't mind whatever you want, it's up to you. We like, we put them in a different space and we're like, that's just not consent. <laughs> it's not a yes or a no, you know, it's like, it hasn't reached the space it needs to be to to actually be an answer granted there's also this like this space and empathy for sometimes we don't know and so we also built in the language for like I'm not sure yet can I think about it and we came up with these other phrases of what do you say when you need time or when you actually don't know so you do need to check in with yourself like do you actually want that um, and so these, you know, these phrases to me lived in that space of it's not it's up to you. It's I'm not sure yet. I need to think. Right. Because it's a check in moment with yourself. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just this is all this is so, so interesting. And thank you for sharing. And like I always learn new things when I chat to you about consent. And I love it. Um, I also want to just apologize for the dog barking in the background. I don't know if you can hear it. I don't even hear it. <laughs> won't come up in the recording. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm completely guilty of of doing that, of saying, mm. like, I don't mind. It's up to you. It's your decision. And um, but for me, like, I feel like it's I literally don't know in that moment. So it's like <laughs> you said, you know, like, I can't make the decision. I have like kind of. And I think many kids experience this, mm. like kind of decision fatigue in a way and like yeah. just, or maybe not wanting to make a decision in that moment and just wanting to like someone else to decide for them. And I guess we need to make space for that too. Yeah, make space for that. But I also wonder like, then can that be what the communication is, mm. is instead of saying up to you, Right. being clear of I actually don't want to make this decision can you make the decision um, because then it's like to me then it becomes consent for the other person to make the decision but I, I understand what you mean because I I have decision fatigue all the time <laughs> so I definitely get it of like I don't care just you decide uh -huh. um, but I do wonder like yeah is there space for also building language and capacity to then say that's what the need is the need is for the other person to to decide but also thinking about kids because we do you know some of these kids and their parents we think about it all the time we say like does she really not care or is there something deeper that we don't or that we're missing yeah. you know like does this kid or maybe they don't care and it's not deeper than that but it's it's tricky to know um especially with answers you know answers like that yeah they seem unclear <laughs> yeah and they are and I think it is tricky to know because I think sometimes the the kid maybe does know and mm. maybe doesn't have the confidence to say yeah um, so there is that too and there is and that takes us back kind of to the relationship yeah conversation about having and building a relationship where your child will be clear about yeah. what it is that they want or don't want and also clear about when they legitimately don't want to make that decision or they don't mm. know um yeah. And, and also, yeah, have, I don't know, I, I'm just going back to this because the, what you were saying about relationship and how sometimes it's used to justify, or it's used, or I've heard this a lot, like, if you have a, a close relationship with your children, then they will want to cooperate with you. Right. Um, and I've heard this a lot, especially in like attachment parenting mm circles and I remember reading when my children were young like reading attachment parenting books and being like all you need to do is look at them in a certain way and they'll know <laughs> what you 
want them to do and this was just never my experience you know I have a very strong relationship with my son but he doesn't want to do anything that I want slash need him to do yeah not because something is missing in our relationship Mm. it's just because that is actually how he is Um, we need to find other ways and so like maybe maybe partnership is like I like to think of partnership more than I like to think of necessarily like a strong relationship in terms of decision making right yeah and I think um well to be honest my first thought well it was well a partnership is a type of relationship it is it is <laughs> that, that was my thought um if I'm honest but I know I know what you're getting at here of like it's not um yeah because I guess with all of these parenting um what's the word tips parenting suggestions um the relation the way relation the word relationship is used is in a coercive way Mm. and I think that's the same thing that happens with when the word relationship is used in the classroom as well yeah and I agree with you that partnership maybe embodies the like power sharing aspect a little more that because if we think of relationship and we think of parents versus kid, it then becomes hierarchical. Whereas like when you mentioned partnership, it's more horizontal. And yeah, it is a kind of relationship, but it's more specific in terms yeah. of the, the dynamic of the relationship, as opposed to just saying relationship, right? Um, which could be anything really. For sure. Um, yeah. And we talked about this in, in this, um, the same lesson that we did with consent, we talked about safety and we just talked about like you know yeah they have to feel safe to say no Mm um yeah for sure and they they identified situations and places where they didn't feel safe to say no and situate and a lot of it to be to be like really interesting um was actually in relationship with other friends with peers like a lot of the situations they brought up around consent and safety wasn't even about adults it was about friends which is really interesting and and can you be more more specific about that in the sense of like what was difficult yeah just um a couple of things like one one situation that a kid um described was their peer a friend from school that they did not consent to something and the friend still did it anyways so it was a peer crossing their boundaries and not listening. Another situation was having a friend who they didn't feel they could say no to because they thought they would lose the friendship if they did say no, which I think is really common in a lot of friendships. Um, and so I just found it interesting because I'm always obviously thinking of it as from like an adult to young person kind of thing. But all of their examples they gave thinking about consent and lack of consent and not safe were actually with peers. Mm, that's really interesting yeah yeah <laughs> I mean Which it, like, it like shines the light on why it's so important to like talk about it and live it because they're they're crossing each other's boundaries all the time as as young people as well and they're putting it into practice or not like all the time with each other and we're not necessarily witnessing that or mm. knowing about it or even recognizing that it's like maybe a struggle for them or yeah yeah for sure and I think without the language can you hear the rooster in the background you have dogs but I have roosters (laughs) we have a rooster too like (laughs) um yeah again it's like without the language how do they also manage those peer relationships and understand and then ask for help or ask for support Mm because I find yeah, I, I find with the kids that I work with, because we talk about these things and we build language around it, they're able to have the conversations with me. And sometimes the parents are like, oh, you guys, like, this is a thing. And I'm like, yeah, it's a thing, you know, but they don't always bring it up. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut it short, but I would keep going endlessly. Um, and yeah, I just want to thank you for being and coming on here and chatting to me about this this is all so interesting and I I gained so much from your experience of like being around so many young people Mm -hmm. um, and negotiating consent in a group 
setting, which is completely different to doing that in your family or, you know. Yeah, for sure. But I take every, I feel like you are one of the like people I look to. I'm like, let me go look back at that post from Fran and like try to incorporate that in our space. You have so many beautiful ideas. So I'm excited that you welcomed me to this space. Well, do you know what's super interesting about and maybe a little frustrating about consent is that it's just so complicated. Like there's just so many layers and you're always just uncovering new layers and there's no real answer sometimes, you know? Yeah, and I'm finding that too. And I think even, you know, we know each other from Instagram. I feel like the Instagram world is also opening up to this idea of like any of these, this parenting advice or any of this advice is just like one piece of speck in a very nuanced world. (laughs) So yeah, being open to the the nuance and all the situations makes it difficult, but beautiful. Yeah. Um. So would you like to just tell people where they can find you online and anything else that you have that's available, like resources and, and things like that? Yeah, mainly right now I am on Instagram um, and it's a very long handle, Regenerative Parenting EDU is my Instagram handle. And um, even if I'm not posting super actively, I'm always in my stories. I try to share things in there. Um, Yeah. And I do have a website as well that you can find at the Instagram bio. And I do offer like text and voice message support for educators and parents. And actually somebody asked me yesterday, they're like, is it only for people with kids or like, can everybody access the support? And I'm like, actually everybody, because this is, again, it's all relational and how we're relating to people and so so many of these ideas um yeah can come up for everybody and I think if you're in community with young people then you can be thinking about these things um yeah so that's where I am (laughs) well thank you so much Nadia it was so lovely to speak with you Thank you so much for listening. This is Fran. You can find me on Instagram at Big Mothering. If you enjoyed the podcast, then please share it and tag me um, or rate it on uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And I will see you next time. Bye.